Okay, so tonight, as we continue to look at God's plans for, and we'll bridge into a little bit tonight into God's covenant, maybe at least start talking about it, and then we'll come back to it next Wednesday, God's covenant and covenant promises with David and the house of David. Really, with the house of David and with the son of David is part of the covenant, as you're going to see when we break into this. But we'll begin with Psalm 122, a song of ascents of David. You will remember that David is the most significant composer, writer of psalms. He is the author of anywhere from 73 to 78 of the psalms, depending on how you allocate or assign some of the psalms. A song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Yerushalayim, that's the Hebrew. Um, Yerushalayim, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the, look at that, Beit Dawid, the house of David. And then, of course, famous line that you've heard before, verse 6, pray for the peace, Shalom Yerushalayim. May they be secure who love you. Peace within your walls and security within your towers. So that is a Psalm of David. Let me make this note. I'll probably come back to this, but uh, you need to understand that although David, and in the time of David, uh, the temple is not built yet. It's built by David's son, Solomon. David gives a whole lot of resources towards the building of that temple, but is not himself allowed to build the temple. That's kind of the background for the covenant that God makes with David. We'll talk about that. Uh, That being said, the house of the Lord is also the tabernacle. Okay, so we're going to get into that tonight. David's going to bring the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle to his new capital city that is the city of David, Jerusalem. Okay, so it's not anachronistic. Now, sometimes liberal scholars or skeptics will say, well, obviously, all this talk about the house of the Lord, David didn't really write any of this, and none of this could make any sense with David because there was no temple built. Well, the tent, the tabernacle, was the house of the Lord, and in fact, speaking of, it, it, this is pretty limited, right, because um, it's, it's either eschatological, in other words, looking to the last days, or if you want to look at historically, It only fits with David and Solomon because the tribes of Israel, you know, the the huge number of them, 10 to 11, break off, right, from the Davidic house uh, after Solomon's dead. So in other words, it's not like, oh yeah, remember all those centuries after David when the tribes of Israel all came up to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem? Didn't happen, right? It it happens kind of later, uh, with the return from the exile, but the tribes, a lot of the tribes are really dispersed and lost, and uh, it would have to be either eschatological or, I mean, really what you're looking at here is clearly a vision that seems to relate to some time in history, and it'd be only David and Solomon, that everybody's going to Jerusalem. Got me? So anyway, 
do not let these TV shows that talk about this stuff and bring in the guy from whatever school throw you off on this kind of thing. I always try to keep you guys informed on this kind of thing because it's easy to get thrown off. Everybody with me on that? Okay. Uh, that being said, let us, um, let us go to First and Second Samuel again. We'll pick up. I really ran through First uh, Samuel. Let me just pick up a couple things here. Uh, back in First Samuel chapter 18. At verse 17, and this is going to lead into the fact that I'm going to tell you guys, David has a whole lot of wives. Okay, David ends up with a whole lot of wives. He's not supposed to, but he does. Um, then Saul said to David, this is when David is serving Saul, here is my elder daughter, Merab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. In other words, if you're going to be my main dude who wins battles for me, you get my elder daughter. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So Saul's thinking, if David's willing to go off and fight the Philistines, this is good either way it turns out. He either beats the Philistines, my you know rivals and my threat, or the Philistines take out my internal threat, David, because he dies in battle. Y'all see what Saul just said? So that's what Saul just said. So, um, And David said to Saul, Who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? Now you'll remember, even in the prophecy of Micah, it says, you know, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are the least among the clans of Judah. I mean, Bethlehem and Ephrathah, little bitty clan group. And by the way, Jesse is not a particularly powerful man. Uh, we're told in the scripture he's old. He's old by the time David is anointed. He does have eight sons, but they're not, you know, they're, they're basically sheep herd. They're a sheep herding family. Um, but at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel the Mahalathite, for a wife. So in other words, Saul held out this prize. Now you go beat the Philistines, and you risk your life for the next year or two, and you're going to marry my elder daughter. And then when, when she came of age, you know, we're talking like a teenager. David's not very old at this point either. Um, she's given to somebody else. So uh, now Saul's daughter, Michal, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines be against him. So he's thinking, he's going to get distracted by this love interest of my daughter. Now, how great of a father is this? Is Saul a good father? Is Saul a good boss? Is Saul a good king? Is Saul a good man? No, of course not. <laughs> Do you think anybody nowadays in our political realm or business realm, might calculate like that. What do you think? Impossible, right? Yeah. Uh, Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall now be my son-in-law. I just love you to death, David. You're wonderful. Um, 
And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke these words in the ears of David. And David says, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David. Now this is a negotiation going on here. Y'all have to understand this. Uh, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. So he's holding out this prize now. And again, it's the same kind of calculus, right? David's probably going to get killed, which is good for Saul. Or, hey, you know what? If he takes out, you know, if he can do that, um, <clears throat> uh, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. So David thinks that this is a great opportunity. Um, Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. <laughs> and David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michal for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, so she's not going to be a good spy for him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. It's just convoluted, you know, everything going on here. But that's, that's the story. That's some of the story of Saul, Saul and David. This story with McCall is very tragic after she warns David. And we're not going to read all through this tonight. She proceeds, then we go down the road, and she warns David about Saul's plan to have David killed. And uh, so David flees. And when Saul finds out about that, he's, he hates his daughter, McCall, and he also obviously hates David. And so Saul gives, down the road, he gives his daughter, McCall, to another man in marriage. That's how Saul is, like, seriously bad, right? Okay, so that's a little bit of background. So, you know, um, I guess McCall is David's first love, and it's a very complicated relationship with the whole family situation. A lot of times with premarital counseling, I do like, you know, well, I always do. I make the, the, the uh, you know, fiancés give me uh, genealogies and uh, uh, geneogram kind of trees and talk about family relationships and how the families are going to get along. This would not have been a promising um, arrangement here. All right, so <clears throat> David ends up, you know, after we're in, in, in chapter 27, I just want to make y'all aware of this too. I think I mentioned it really fast in passing, but he ends up going over to the Philistines after, you know, after being chased around by Saul long enough, he decides he's going to go to the Philistines. Uh, verse, excuse me, chapter 27, then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape uh, <clears throat> that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, and Achish 
the son of Maach, the king of Gath. Now, remember, Gath is where um, Goliath. Okay, so this is really <laughs> interesting. But hey, you know what? If the gunslinger who took out the giant comes over to you, would you turn him down? I mean, he's a pretty serious gunslinger here, you know. Um, and David lived with Akish at Gath, and he and his men, every man with, with, uh, with his household, and David with his two wives. So, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't read this part to you, but he ends up with two wives. One is the widow of Nabal, okay, who challenges David and ends up, you know, dying. And then uh, David doesn't kill him. And then um, uh, that, that's Abigail of Carmel. And then Ahinoam of Jezreel. Um, so, yeah, it says Nabal's widow, the rich man. She's a, she's a wealthy woman, Abigail is, um, and a faithful woman. Um, and when it was told to Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. And so David then becomes this um, warrior for the Philistines for a period of time. <clears throat> and um, David, who is going to be, the, who's been anointed as the king of the Israelites, you know, the Philistines, one of their big enemies, are the Israelites. So how is David going to manage that? Because he's supposed to end up being king of the Israelites. If he goes over and, like, destroys a bunch of Israelite towns and kills a bunch of Israelites, is that going to work well for his future kingdom? No. So he meticulously avoids it. So this is a classic story of, we won't go into all this, but this is a classic story. It's better than any novel you can read or movie you would watch about how David somehow pulls off this thing where he supposedly is going to raid for the Philistines, but meticulously avoids killing any Israelites, you know, or destroying any Israelite property. It's pretty impressive. Um, all right, so uh, then, by the way, you, you get all this kind of soap opera stuff. Um, the Amalekites capture, they take David's, you know, encampment and his wives and his men's wives are taken off, and it's a big stink. And then David takes down the Amalekites. You know, his men are really upset with him. David does all that. And then finally, Saul dies. Sounds like this has been going on since the very beginning of time. Yes. The one thing, Jane, that's interesting to me that is, it, you know, it's really sad because of our fallenness and our sinfulness, and it's very scary, the kind of world we live in. But no matter how liberal or skeptical you are, if you have any sense in the world, you cannot look at this Bible and say, oh, this stuff is overstated. Or people wouldn't really run around killing each other and taking all these wives and everything. I mean, it, it happens in the Middle East, and by the way, other parts of the world, to this very day. I mean, does anybody question that this is accurate? That this kind of, you know, this 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 is, I mean... And, and you have to understand, although David makes, in this context, although David does, you know, he sins greatly and makes some really bad mistakes because um, he's supposed to be the king, right? We can go back to Deuteronomy and let me remind you, the king's only supposed to have one wife and he's not supposed to take foreign wives. Um, 
all kinds of stuff. He ends up with a bunch of wives. He's got at least seven wives. I, I actually mapped these out for you, but I left it upstairs. Sorry, but we can go through that next time. But anyway, he ends up with all these wives with all these. And then he has concubines, too, on top of that. So it's in First um, Chronicles 3, but I, w- I want to keep going on this for a minute. Let, let us get, we may end up getting to that. Uh, that being said, what I was going to say is in the context, in the grand scheme of things, David is like the, the nicest, powerful man to come out of the Middle East. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay, so uh, you will remember um, I mentioned this, that after Saul dies, uh, David is really heartbroken and he is is very upset um let's just keep i'll I'll keep going remember he laments for saul he kills the guy who says um david has just had to take down the amalekites for stealing his wives and everything you know and, and this guy who comes to him and says, I did you a big favor. I did Saul a favor too. He asked me to kill him because the Philistines were about to take him. And, you know, this guy's demise probably would have been the case anyway, but it just it's, adds insult to injury that it turns out that he's an Amalekite. Okay, so <laughs> David just fought the Amalekites, and this Amalekite comes and says, David, I've done you a big favor, and I also helped out poor King Saul because he was going to be taken by the Philistines anyway, so he asked me to go ahead and kill him. And David, um, you remember I told you this, it's, the guy does not live. So um, he answered, I am the son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. This is in 2 Samuel 1. David said to him, how is it that you are not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's Mashiach, the Lord's anointed? This is a, that's is an inverse 14 at chapter 1 of Second Samuel. Then David called one of the young men and said, Go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood be on your head, for your own mouth is testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Remember, David is not going to touch Saul until Saul dies. And he follows that. I talked about this last week. That's part of his code and part of his understanding of faithfulness uh, before the Lord. You just don't, even if the Lord's anointed, does horrible things. Nobody is in a position except the Lord himself to execute or take out the Lord's anointed. Okay, that's, 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 that's what David follows. So remember, we talked about this. David's anointed king of Judah, his own tribe. Uh, and he has a capital at Hebron, okay, down in Judah. A very important city. Abraham, the patriarchs, all that kind of thing. Ishbosheth, son of Saul, is made king of the other tribes. We talked about this last time. Abner uh, comes to make peace. The, the main general of this, this, this war goes on for a long time. David's king in Hebron for seven years. Um, and, um, yeah, here we go. Look, just look at chapter 3 of Second Samuel. There's a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Now, that's the way you talk about it when you're talking about kings in the Bible. The house of Saul and the house of David. 
And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker, which is fascinating because most of the, you know, the huge majority of the tribes are with the house of Saul. Um, but you'll remember until David, well, kind of until Saul briefly in Saul's golden period, and after that until David, the Israelites are not good at fighting. They, they don't, like, keep up battles very well. Remember the judges period? I mean, they do well for, like, one big battle, and then they're back to really being goofed up. And the sons that were born to David at Hebron. This is just the ones at Hebron now. Um, his firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam of Jezreel. Remember her. She's the, one of those two wives that he takes after Michal, after Saul gives Michal away. Uh, and his second, Chiliab, of Abigail, the widow of Nabal. Remember her, the rich lady from Carmel. And the third, Absalom. Now, he's going to be really significant in the David story. Uh, and this, this is what I wanted to make you all aware of. He is, uh, he's the son of Ma'akah, who is, that's the daughter of Talmai, or Talmai, king of Geshur. Now, Geshur is an Aramean kingdom that's up in Galilee and up into the Golan Heights area. The old capital of Geshur is Bethsaida, which is an area where some of Jesus' disciples come from. Right? Y'all remember this, okay? So, so there's a lot later time period. But, but that's, that's, where, uh, that's where this kingdom was, this Aramean kingdom of Geshur. So, so he's married. Now, is, is, is she an Israelite? What do you all think? If she's the daughter of the king of Geshur. No. She's Aramean. Is he supposed to be marrying her? No. Okay. And he gets a son named Absalom. How's it going to turn out with Absalom? All fine and dandy with Absalom? Anybody remember the Bible story? What does Absalom end up doing? Leading a revolt against his daddy, King David. Um, the fourth, Adonijah, son of Hagit. The fifth, Shephatiah, son of Abital. The sixth, Ethraim uh, of Eglah. These were born to David at Hebron. Okay? Um, so, and then you get the Abner story and Ishbosheth. Um, Ishbosheth is murdered. And then, chapter 5. Then all the tribes of Israel, this is over a long period of time now, you don't understand this. this is, you know, he's been down in Hebron for seven years. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who let out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. Now, if they knew that, you might ask, Well, why did they war against David <laughs> for all those years? I don't know if they've just finally accepted this as true based on the way the Lord has blessed him and prospered him in the war. But anyway, so they acknowledge this that he's supposed to be the king. Uh, so all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, 
and they anointed David king over Israel. Now, this is really important. Uh, remember, who's already anointed David? Samuel, like way back when David's a young, young lad. And uh, now he's a man. He's been fighting with them for years. And it is important that they anoint him. Uh, and that's a way of, you know, acknowledging his authority. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And remember, we looked at this last, last week. Um, this is getting us back to Jerusalem, finally. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites and the inhabitants of the land who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you all, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. Remember on the map, the city of David, right? Leading up to the Ophel, okay, south of the Temple Mount. Um, <clears throat> he took the uh, stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore, it is said, this is a proverb, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the millow inward. And David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Now, what we're seeing here is in a way the fulfillment of God's promises. This is back, you know, we've been talking about the covenant, so I want to take you back to this, right? Uh, to uh, 15, Genesis 15, in that key iteration of God's covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, just to get to the um, very end here. Uh, Genesis 15, 17, this is the tailpiece of, of these covenant promises by God and the prophecies. Uh, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your seed I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Y'all see that? So although Benjamin initially kind of took Jebus or Jerusalem, and then, and then the, basically the Judahites were needed, and then Benjamin kind of lost it later, okay? Uh, even though the Judahites had helped them, this is during the Judges period, uh, excuse me, the Joshua period, um, and leading into the Judges period, then, you know, David takes it back, okay? Uh, one other one from, from Abraham, Genesis 22. Uh, picking up at verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself, now you'll remember that language from Sunday's scripture in Isaiah too, right? Okay. 
uh, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your seed or your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, who is bringing at least a very substantial initial fulfillment of that. Well, Joshua did to a certain extent, but here we have David really setting up, moving towards this centrality of God's promises with David. Okay, So you see, you see that connection there, right? David takes the gates of his enemies. Um, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That's after the near sacrifice of Isaac and God provides the ram in, in place of Isaac. So y'all see those connections there? David really connects with, you got to remember these covenants kind of fusing together with what's going on with David and obviously leading in the story of Jesus. Now, uh, so he takes Jerusalem, he defeats the Philistines, he's got all these wives and he's going to have more, and he's got sons right and left, um, and he's setting up this big uh, capital or important capital in the city of David, right? Um, so, Let me just show you all this really fast, and then let me get back to this, and let me spend just a couple more minutes on this, and then we'll wrap up for tonight. So for the scripture on Sunday, this coming Sunday, Pentecost, one of the scriptures is um, begins at Isaiah 32, verse 14. It's actually, I'm, I'm cutting into um, a resignation uh, prophecy from the Lord that then leads into this like little good news burst thing. And at the end of this resignation thing, um, you know, judgment, at verse 14, for the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, or the, the bustling city deserted. The hill, do y'all see that in the ESV? It says the hill. The, the, the literal Hebrew there is Ophel. Okay? and the watchtower. Now, these are very possibly, I mean, they could just be generic, like it's translated here, but um, these are very possibly place designations for, remember I told you the Ophel, you know, you got the city of David, Ophel, and then the Temple Mount? Okay, so that's that term right there. Now, it can just mean hill, um, but, and also the, um, the fortress or citadel area there that's related to the Ophel. And so anyway, it's just saying like all that's, you know, deserted, but God's going to pour out his spirit and bring back Zion. Okay. So that's just a side note on this geography stuff. Now, Second uh, Samuel 6, David wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem so that Jerusalem, his new capital city, will not only be the political and kingly city, but also the spiritual center. And by the way, the law provides for it that the God will provide a place that all, you know, all Israel is supposed to go to to worship. So David wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him, the Baalah Judah, 
to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the troops, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. Remember the way the ark of the covenant is like the throne, right, of God. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out to the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart, which with the ark of God and Ahio went before the ark. He had the better position, as it turns out. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres. And Man, this is like David's greatest day. He's going to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Uh, they're, shout, you know, they're playing all this music and everything, castanets and cymbals. And they came to the threshing floor of Nakhon. Uzzah put out his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died beside the ark of God. You do not touch the ark of God. You can deal with the poles. You do not reach out and touch it with your hand. That's the law. So, um, and David, look at this. If you think you're upset about this, reading this from way back, David's like right there. And David was angry. Because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And the place, that place was called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And so David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed Edom, the Gittite. And the ark, wouldn't you love it if you were Obed-Edom and you're like, am I authorized to get this? It's like, hey, I'm the king. I'm telling you, you have to house this thing. Would you like that assignment based on what had just happened to Uzzah? Probably not, right? The guy's probably scared to death. Um, um, and the ark of the Lord remained at the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And look at this. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. He didn't violate any of the law. And God blessed him. So this then encouraged David. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obedina and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing the linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Now I'm going to tell you the next segment is Michal hates David because of this. She thinks he's being bad and arrogant. Uh, let's not get distracted on that today. What I just want to say, and I'll come back to it last, uh, next Wednesday, excuse me, is the fact that David, in case you missed it, is acting like a priest king. Remember the way I've taught you about Melchizedek and how Jesus, okay, this is a linking thing going on here. The priest wears an ephod. David's wearing an ephod. Every six steps, to make sure, are we okay, Lord? Every six steps, he's, can you imagine, there was a lot of meat, you know, being sacrificed. Every six steps, you have a fattened oxen uh, 
being sacrificed. Um, an, an ox and a fattened animal. That's a lot of sacrificing going on. And who's doing it? Apparently, David is leading all this. Now, you'll remember that Saul gets in big trouble for presuming, right, to make sacrifice. Are the rules different with David? And the answer is, within apparently reasonable range that God gives him, yes. Now, David's not going to, believe me, David did not reach out and touch the Ark of the Covenant. Anybody here want to reach out and touch the Ark of the Covenant? He did not reach out and touch the Ark of the Covenant, but he is acting as a priest king, bringing the Ark into Jerusalem. And if if you all remember, a few weeks ago, I highlighted... I highlighted um, maybe about three weeks ago in this study uh, the fact that in 1 Samuel chapter 2, when Eli is judged by God, okay, there's that little passage about God choosing a man to be a priest, right? And there's an interpretive issue about the Lord's anointed and who will go before the Lord or is it who will go as the face of of the Messiah. And you can read that passage, arguably, as saying that ultimately it's a prophecy about the Mashiach or the Messiah being both a king and a priest. And David's like a little preview of this when he brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, which is one of the most important historical events in all the Old Testament. Got it? Pretty cool, huh? So that's some Jerusalem stuff for you. Now, we'll pick this up next week. We didn't get to the covenant. Uh, We'll get to that next, but David is going to continue with this. I think I ought to build a house for the Lord, and we'll see where that goes next time. Good? All right. Any questions on David, on the ark, on Jerusalem? Well, we'll pick it up next time. Thank you all for joining us. Let's close in prayer.